And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Bird to your mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just the duo of feathery weather and weather in any season to see the Eagles eating teams like Scrammy's top with cheese is Philadelphia. Both when Zach kicking it cooler than two penguins till Zach runs off with his valet key. He's a real nuanced goose. Pull up a branch, get loose. It's time for some juice on some birds with friends. The early bird gets the worm, but prefers getting turned like a turn on some birds with friends. Both Zach coming at you with steps and things flapping. We are going to rip out the hearts of other podcasts. We are going to bite off their eyeballs. We're going to start every segment watching the scene from The Last of the Mohicans where the guy takes a bite out of the other guy's heart. We may not be good, but we're going to be nasty. We're going to reflect the blue-collar nature of this city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Burns with Friends on a Wednesday afternoon. Bo Wolf, Zach Berman, Marissa Dunn here, and a special guest to start things off, Arif Hassan, who covers the Vikings for The Athletic. Arif, how are you? Good, I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, let's get right to it. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna just get you in and out. Janarius Robinson signed to the Eagles active roster from the Vikings practice squad. We had to bring you on to give us a forty-five minutes soliloquy. What, what do you got? Uh, yeah, Janarius Robinson was drafted in the fourth round of the twenty twenty-one NFL draft. No, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> There's a yeah, he did make the roster last year because of injuries. So, you know, we, we never really got to see kind of what he could do. Then the Vikings have a new regime come in that bring in additional edge rushers. There's just very little on, on Janarius Robinson, except to say that he couldn't beat out the undrafted rookie um that the Vikings signed. So uh th- that's all I think kinda... when you see when, when you see a guy who's that big and tests that well and is not on an active roster, you sort of just assume he's not very good. Yeah, I that that's fair, <laughs> I think. Um I don't know. The Eagles have done a really good job with like super athletes, right? That's like been kind of their thing for a while. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's certainly opportunity there. I mean, he's been fun to interact with, but I, I can't really okay. tell you what kind of a football player he is because he just hasn't done it. Well, Eagles will hope he's the next Marcus Epps, right, Zach? Or the next Josh Sweat or the next Theo Hunter. Well, yeah, but I'm trying That's to I'm trying to give you the right. Vikings practice squad pipeline. <laughs> You've got well, a Marcus Epps story coming up. Yeah. I'm trying to put this up on a tee for so, you. Well, so Marcus Epps actually was not on the Vikings practice squad. He was on their active roster, and they cut him to add Andrew Sandejo. Uh, mm. So it was uh, an interesting trade, and it it was a it was a, essentially a trade, right? Because the Eagles cut Sandejo, right? Yeah. Vikings bring back Sandejo, yeah, yeah, and and the Eagles brought Epps in, and and yes, you'll. you'll it's learn also a lot funny more. because that's like a that's like a theoretical uh, Andrew Sandejo move of of like friendly fire hurting his own team. <laughs> <laughs> oh hey yeah that's perfect that's that's him in a nutshell there you go yeah i don't know if we have any similar generis robinson stories <laughs> all right well we've got we will get to uh more eagle stuff as as the show goes on obviously everybody is tuning in uh to see if i'm still alive and okay the breaking news that coyote awashika has been signed to the lions active roster from the eagles practice squad we'll get to that as well but uh we want we want to talk some vikings a big matchup on monday night 
um, against a team that had a very impressive win in week one. Uh, Arif, I guess, uh, let's start on offense and a lot of a lot of a lot of gazing up going on of, of Kevin O'Connell and the game plan he was able to put together in, in week one against the, the Packers and the way that he was able to get uh, Justin Jefferson and some advantageous matchups. What what sort of jumped out to you from from week one in terms of like the, the scheme on offense? Yeah, I mean, well, part of it is that, you know, it's week one. So the Packers are just not going to be very good. So that helps. But beyond that, um, I what was kind of interesting and reminded me of Sean McVay against the Vikings in 2018, how uh, they would use motion to create these matchups because they knew what the matchup rules would be in response to motion and uh, they exploited them. So sometimes you would see Justin Jefferson lined up uh, against an edge rusher and yeah, you're going to throw that ball. Right. So, uh, and those were just like, they're not like uh, an edge rusher carrying Justin Jefferson 30 yards down the field. Those are like easy eight, nine yard gains, but if they're for free, you're just going to take them. Right. So, uh, there's a lot of that, you know, using motion to, to create those opportunities. There's a lot of, hey, we know that the Packers love to run cover three here, so we're just going to clear out the cover three corner with a post and then put Justin Jefferson underneath it. Uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, a, a really deep knowledge of kind of what that defense was trying to do and and finding kind of every small chip in the armor to, to exploit within within that framework. I'm I'm curious when looking at at this Vikings team from a, a big picture, I guess the big picture perspective, and I I know culture is a, a nebulous term, but you keep hearing about this culture change in Minnesota from last year's regime to this year's regime. Uh, is that just a convenient storyline, or is is there anything that's either palpable or tangible that you can point to to show these are not the same Vikings? that Eagles fans are used to seeing under Mike Zimmer. I mean, part of the storyline is just motivated by the perception that Zimmer's an a-hole, right? Like that's like, that's part of the reason you could talk about culture a lot. It's like, Hey, Been there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, Hey, we got rid of that guy. We got a guy that doesn't like yell at the media, huge culture shift. I bet everybody in the building loves it, <laughs> which, you know, you don't know. Right. Uh, for me, uh, when it comes to football teams, culture is like what happens when a team loses. Right. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't happened yet with Vikings. So we don't know. Uh, you know, how resilient or how effective that culture is going to be. But in terms of like the changes that we've seen based off of how, you know, the atmosphere that's created by the coach and kind of what uh, the working environment is like. I mean, the last couple of years with the Vikings were they were a pretty tough working environment in that players felt like they had to go to work, which, you know, it's hard to feel sympathy when I phrase it like that. But it's like, you know, they woke up in the morning. They didn't want to come into the building, which is like I get that feeling. But I guess, you know, the opposite is better. And I guess that's what's happening now. The players are excited to come to work. They're excited to work out. They're excited to interact in the facility. And certainly that has some knock on effects. You know, players are more likely to put in, um, you know, more work, more diligent work when they do put in work, more likely to be attentive in meetings and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it's tough to a determine that there is a culture shift and B determine the impact of a culture shift once that happens, uh, because it's not really very quantifiable, but it certainly seems like that's the case. I'm just always going to be cautious until the Vikings string a couple of losses together to see kind of if there's a, a real legitimate impact on the change in team culture. I like the idea of Kirk Cousins last year, quiet quitting. Just <laughs> um, give us give us sort of a, a rundown of uh, like for the, uh, you know, the, the layman's rundown of, of the Vikings offense in, in terms of what's going on aside from Justin Jefferson, who we know is is special. Uh, offensive line is is not very good. Is that right? Give, run us through uh, what, what's going on. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, the off the interior offensive line is not particularly good. I mean, Ezra Cleveland's fine, but Ed Ingram had a lot of struggles uh, last week. He's a rookie second rounder. Uh, and then Garrett Bradbury, who's 
always struggle to continue struggle. Like they keep on trying to find, you know, their their own Kelsey or their own Cameron Jurgens, right? And and they can't. Garrett Bradbury is the end product of that. Um, you know, it's it's really difficult for that that offensive line to get push up front or to protect against stronger pass rushers. Um, but you know, for the most part, you know, the the scheme is designed to mitigate that by rolling Kirk out. You know, there's a lot of play action. I think they had play action over 40% of the time in that Packers game. Uh, rolling Kirk out of the pocket, you know, creating opportunities, obviously for Justin Jefferson, but like being kind of relatively multiple in their scheme in a way that the Rams were not, because the Rams would always have three receivers on the field, right? And the Vikings certainly have the personnel to do that. They put three receivers on the field much, much more often than they did last year or the year before. Um, but they're comfortable having two running backs out there with a fullback, right? Or they're comfortable having two tight ends out there, which they didn't do in this game, but have signaled that they're willing to do in other games. And so they're going to be attacking matchups, I think is, is the best way to put it, is that they kind of know what are the, the best opportunities for an opposing defense, and they're going to try to take that defense out of the game, right? They're going to try and say, hey, we know that your nickel corner is not that great, so we're going to put three receivers on the field. Or, hey, we know that your third linebacker is not that good, so we're putting a fullback on the field. So that seems to be kind of the, the motivating philosophy behind the offense is that, hey, we're good at a lot of different positions and a lot of different personnel, so we're just going to find out the thing that you're bad at and do that. For the past X uh, years, the defense answer is a uh, lot, but sorry, go ahead, Zach. <laughs> so, so for the past X years, there were, or, or there was a running joke on this podcast that whenever the Vikings, the Eagles would play the Vikings um, in the press conferences in Philadelphia, there would be this fascination with the double A gap blitz, right? Like it was, it was, it was brought up, it was brought up time and time again as, as if. Um, you know, it's, it's like you're playing against Minnesota. How do you prepare for this double a gap blitz? Uh, Mike Zimmer, of course, <laughs> he gets the question anymore. every year, every year. It, and it was like, it was like the football guys question, right? Like, um, yeah. you know, you would bring up this double, That's a how gap you know, blitz. you know, ball. <laughs> yeah. So like when you play the 49ers, everyone's asking where, well, how are you going to deal with this misdirection? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So knowing that that obviously Ed Donatel's in there now, Mike Zimmer's not there now. What can we expect from this Vikings defense? Um, triple honestly, a gap blitz. <laughs> triple A gap blitz. Honestly, <laughs> it looks pretty similar. Mike Zimmer moved away from the double A gap blitz for a little bit. Kept the same principles, right? You know, occupying um, all the blockers with one on ones. Uh, you know, overloading uh, pass protection by having more available rushers and and all that. And, Sometimes they would they would uh, you know transmit the A to the B, so you'd see a double B gap blitz, and it'd be you know kind of funny. And that would have uh, rocked the world here, well, by my mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there there are a bunch of times uh, last week where you saw you know six, seven, maybe even eight players at the line of scrimmage ready to rush, and then only four would rush the exact same way Zimmer do it because Zimmer blitzed less often than the NFL average, um, even on third down. He just looked like he was going to blitz all the time, so he got that reputation, and very much the Vikings only sent four rushers on it. I want to say like 91% of their snaps is the fourth lowest rate in the NFL uh, last week. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of that where they're going to attack the running back in protection. Um, you know, one of the Zadarius Smith sacks came because um, they're able to occupy uh, Aaron Jones and the center so that there was one-on-one -on -one matchups on, on the right side. Zadarius Smith was able to play against the backup tackle and uh, that backup tackle didn't have any help and he was able to get to Aaron Rodgers. And so it's, it's a lot of the same principles where you're confusing um, the protections, you're confusing kind of who gets who. You have to make sure that you, you've you got rules in place for your protection. It can't just be, you know, this guy's got that guy, this guy's got that guy. There needs to be zone protections that that have, you know, handoffs and stuff like that. And that's very much 
familiar, you know, to Vikings fans. It looked very similar, even though where those players lined up was a little bit different. So, yeah, sometimes you'll get Davlin Tomlinson, who's basically a defensive tackle, lining up outside the offensive tackle. And that's, you know, kind of funny, but then it works and no one really cares. Uh, and, and, and you have, you know, linebackers lined up over the center, ready to, ready to blitz. So it looked very similar. It's just, we're not using that fancy name anymore. Zach, is it Ed Donatel or Don Edatel? Ed Donatel. Oh, okay. Thank you. Just double checking. Uh, uh, Arif, uh, on the defense, if you were, if you were telling the Eagles who like, who's weak, where to, where to attack the Vikings defense, where would that be? Uh, I mean, if if the Vikings defense looks like it did last week, just have your running quarterback run the ball. Like, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> it's like that, that seems like you can do that. Yeah. 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 It seems like the best opportunity. I mean, the Vikings created all kinds of, of rush lane opportunities for a running quarterback in that last game. Probably knowing that Aaron Rodgers is not, you know, who he was athletically. There were a couple of times actually after the game, um, Aaron Rodgers mentioned that he should have just pulled the ball and ran. Uh, instead of throwing it, but that's just not who he is anymore. Because and the Vikings knew that, and so they were able to to rush really wide or create these you know enormous running lanes for quarterbacks with their rush plan, which they I, I'm going to give them enough credit to say they probably won't do that this week. But you know if they do, it's going to be you know they're going to allow people to convert third and twelve on the ground, right? Like that's that's probably the best way to do it. Otherwise, I, I would I would attack those corners. I mean the the Vikings forced Aaron Rodgers to get rid of the ball really quickly. Um, you know, obviously, you know, he was pressured on uh, like, what, like 29, 30% of snaps and on the snaps that he wasn't pressured, the offensive linemen were still losing and he had to get rid of the ball quickly. So he got rid of the ball in two seconds in a clean pocket, which I believe was like the third fastest in the NFL in week one. So they found ways to, to make them throw short. Um, now my understanding is that the Eagles don't have four backup offensive linemen that they'll be playing in this game. Uh, and that they're fairly proud of how good that offensive line is. And so there's probably going to be a little bit more time available for Jalen Hurts to be able to throw downfield. I, I know that they ran a couple of four verts looks last week um, against the Lions. And so I would attempt to isolate those corners and pick on them because Patrick Peterson lost against Christian Watson, who barely knows how to run a route. Uh, he lost against him like three or four times. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers only threw it to him the one time, but that was enough for Rodgers. You know, he was sick of it. Yeah. Uh, hurts my understanding is maybe a little bit more forgiving of of those kinds of mistakes from receivers and so uh you're probably going to see some some open look opportunities on the outside and and the receivers are better here than they are Mm. than they were in green bay so that's something yeah certainly they're rosterable yeah that's a that's a benefit (laughs) uh so for a podcast that that started off talking about janarius robinson and coyote awashika you can tell that that uh we're into the esoteric right so uh but the (laughs) The what fifth string wide re- or the, or the fifth wide receiver slash punt returner typically does not get top billing in a talk to me about the Vikings podcast, but in Philadelphia, Jalen Rager's name does carry weight, and I, I think there's no. Oh, does he have here. a connection to Philadelphia? I hadn't heard. <laughs> uh, I, I think there's an audience here that is curious about this uh, second chance for Jalen Rager. It, it it seems he's the top punt returner. Didn't do much in the in the first game. Um, how much is he a part of the offense yet? And what's the general excitement mood about Rager so far with the Vikings? And also when he walks around the building, is he literally walking in Justin Jefferson's shadow everywhere he goes? <laughs> he um, he considers it a blessing that he ended up in the same building as Justin Jefferson, some sort of cosmic tale that God is telling him, which I'm fine. I mean, you know, interpret it yeah. however you want. If you can turn it into something positive, go for it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we asked him maybe a couple too many times about, about that particular circumstance, uh, but I know he's, he's taking the second so did chance, we, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
he's taking the second chance opportunity really, really seriously. You know, he's had a, a lot of life events over the past year that have impacted him a lot. Um, and, and my understanding is that it has focused him a lot on, on the goals that he wants to commit to. And um, it, it sounded like, you know, entering training camp that he was a little bit more focused entering Eagles training camp than he did ever had been, which of course is a red flag for, you know, the previous two training camps. But, um, you know, it was maybe telling because it sounded like he was more physically fit to play. And and certainly whatever player that's purported to be, that's the player that has showed up for the Vikings. Somebody that um, seems to have the the first step in burst and athleticism that he had at TCU that he that he seemingly did not have for most of his tenure at Philadelphia. So uh, to, to the extent that we have any evidence that, you know, he's taking a second chance opportunity to, to make it a second chance. Um, it, it seems like that's the case. He's certainly taking a much more positive attitude than. I would, I guess. <laughs> so, so you know, prop, props to him. So, um, yeah, he. Yeah, I'm rooting for Jalen Rager. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's had a lot of a lot of stuff happen in his life, and he can't help that he got picked ahead of a Hall of Famer. That's not right. his fault. That's the Eagles' fault. So, um, you know, his ability to kind of turn that into something positive certainly seems to be the case. But you know, he didn't see the field on offense. He saw the field as a punt returner. The Vikings, when they were three, picked the same three receivers just like the Rams do, right? They didn't rotate mm -hmm. receivers in. Part of that's probably because he still has the offense to learn. He showed up pretty late in the cycle, as it were. Um, and so had the Vikings not cut Amir Smith-Marset to make room for him, I bet Smith-Marset would have seen the field in week one. Um, so as we kind of continue, we'll probably see Jalen Rager, um, you know, rolled into the offense. Because I think the reason that Jalen Naylor, the other guy on the Vikings who plays receiver, didn't see the field is because he's primarily a special teamer. And so if, once Rager continues to demonstrate that he's got value as a partner turner, we may see that fifth receiver change. We might see that person end up seeing the field. So we'll probably see Rager on the field a little bit, maybe four or five snaps on offense, but primarily is that punt returner. The two or three punt returns he had were, well, one of them was really impressive. He just like wriggled out of a tackle again, nine yards out of nowhere. So hopefully more of that, I guess. And he did. He did have his his best training camp um, this summer. He was he was consistent on a daily basis. I, I, I think that's definitely true. So we'll see. Um, I guess I guess uh, Arif, I have to ask you about uh, the guy that I call the Melvin, and and that is Kirk Cousins. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's somehow I instantly crazy. understood what you yeah, meant. Yeah, like the nerdiest. Guy I, in the world. I, yeah. I still don't. By the Perfect. way, four years into this podcast, I I still. Well, what don't if you called him a Millhouse? Would that would that <laughs> yeah. help? No, because I think Millhouse, well, I mean, it's not accurate uh, given the show, but I feel like it connotes like smartness, like nerdy, nerdy. Oh, yeah. Smartness, yeah. Which I don't fair. believe is the case uh, with, with, <laughs> with the Melvin. Yeah. Um, the Mel Melvin's more of a tryhard. I get it. I, I, I'm i picking up what you're like. Oh, here we go, guys. Let's uh, we can do this. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what's what's your what's your just general your general take on, on Kirk cousins. Is he like, is he the, the median starting NFL quarterback? Is he better than that? Is it because there's so much variance? What's your, what's your, your Kirk cousins take? Uh, it kind of depends on the team you build around him, right? Like I think that in, in the most optimal environment, Kirk cousins could possibly be in he's a top eight, possibly a top five quarterback. Um, now quarterbacks are generally paid for not being in that situation and doing a little bit more than outside their optimal. And so he, I think drops off in effectiveness much more dramatically than most other quarterbacks. When you take elements of the sporting cast away or you put him in an uncomfortable situation. So, um, it really do kind of depends on the construction of your team and the circumstances your team, you know, ends up in, right? Like if you're in, in an environment that has a, a leaky offensive line or 
only one or two skill position players that you can count on. I would much rather have a Matthew Stafford, right? Who I rate as probably similarly rated, uh, assuming like his arm works this year. I don't really know what's up with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, generally speaking, I, I would take Matthew Stafford in a more volatile environment and Kirk Cousins in a more stable environment. Um, but the problem is that once you enter the playoffs, of course, like you need to be the best quarterback on the field. You could do that a couple of ways. One is by having a defense that shuts down the opposing quarterback. But generally speaking, if you're the best quarterback on the field, you'll win. And Kirk Cousins is rarely that, whereas Matthew Stafford will find days that he just happens to be that, right? And so having that kind of ceiling available to you can be really valuable and is not something that Cousins has. I, I really think that he is a good quarterback, but um, put in particular circumstances that that make for a complete quarterback he just doesn't always have it whether that's you know the two minute drill or um on particular types of third downs um it, it is difficult for him to adapt the way that he plays to the circumstances that he's in and so um he looked great in the packers game they also led the entire game right and he's also familiar with playing against that kind of defense he wasn't really you know perplexed by anything that they were showing him and so it was very easy for him to have a good game, although he has shown a little bit more in terms of his improvisational capability, which is not something I would say he has uh, a strong history of. And, um, you know, in, in camp this year, he's done better in situational and two minute drills than I've ever seen him in a Vikings camp. In fact, there were two straight years of camp where he didn't win a single one against the Vikings defense. Um, and, and, and this year he won like the vast majority of his two minute opportunities in, in camp. So there could be a different Kirk Cousins. We haven't tested that yet, but um, generally he's a, he's an above average quarterback that kind of, it's easy to overpay. That that's a good position to be in. Easy to overpay, right? Yeah, yeah. I would uh, love to be easy to. Overpay. <laughs> I'm I'm curious too. We and and this is on the topic of cousins, but we talk about team building often on on this podcast. And uh, you know, they hire a new GM, Quasi uh, Adolfo Mensa. Did I did I pronounce it correctly? Nailed it. Yeah. All right. Good. Because uh, I, I um, feel a certain. Uh, Zach's been I, looking forward to this because he. Yes. I feel a certain <laughs> kinship. <laughs> I feel a certain kinship. He's a Philadelphia area guy, and Philadelphia area guys. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I have a spot in my heart for them. Do you also go to Princeton? Me? I did not. No, he's actually famously <laughs> anti-Princeton. Yeah, he doesn't like the football team. Whereas I am a big fan of the Princeton yeah. football. Team. I'm more of a Penn guy. I'm I'm more of a Penn yeah. guy. Hey, I, my I brother like, went to Penn. Hey, there we there go. There you go. There you go. I like that. <laughs> I like Princeton's wide receivers coach, but I'm more of a Penn guy than a Princeton guy. Um, he likes losing teams. <laughs> I like Philadelphia teams. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> in 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 talking about Quasi, uh, he 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 comes on and he seems to double down on Kirk Cousins, double down on the stage that they were in it it wasn't even like this soft rebuild it was it was you know it was bringing in veterans um what does a quasi team look like a and b how would you evaluate what he did this offseason um so i think a, a quasi team looks like a team that is built to be flexible that's built to respond to a variety of circumstances whether that means they have to make an emergency in-season trade or they have to change the way the offense looks based off of defensive tendencies across the league or um, they have to make an emergency signing it's one that has 
um, a lot of movement and flexibility within it, which means players that can play multiple positions. That means, um, you know, a, a cap circumstance that's a little bit easier to work with. Um, that's not the team he has currently, but it was it is a team that he's building towards. Right. It, it doesn't have a lot of cap flexibility right now. It's at the bottom around the NFL. Um, and only a couple of these players are really position flexible in a way that can really embody that. Um, but, you know, those are the kinds of players that that they drafted, you know, players that can play maybe multiple positions like Asesio de Mewo. Um, Ed Ingram, in theory, would be able to play tackle, although I kind of doubt that in, personally. Um, you know, uh, players that that have the ability to, to do a lot of things and solve a lot of problems. In fact, that's the phrase that he uses. You know, you want to solve, you know, problems in as many ways as possible or as often as possible. Um, the, the issue, I think, is that the Quasi does remind me a little bit, unfortunately, of Sam Hinkie where there is a lot of yeah this guy is so smart and then you like read kind of the the things that he says and it's like well that's that's just malcolm gladwell like i <laughs> that's not that interesting right <laughs> and so uh, so that's my worry is that you might he's only might drafting have... players born in september <laughs> right exactly yeah. uh, well i put in ten thousand hours i don't see what the issue right. is no um that's my worry uh, in terms of how he's accomplished uh, his goals this offseason, I would say I disagree with the direction that he took the team. But for what he was attempting to accomplish, which is to walk this tightrope between creating room to build for the future and capitalizing on a window to win now, which I know every GM is like really trying to do, but in, in ways where they commit to shedding you know a bunch of bad contracts to create draft picks and stuff like that, I think. I think the commitment to that idea was wrong because I don't think the Vikings have a chance to win a Super Bowl in the next two years. But I think that if that is the correct goal, I think that he did a tremendous job of doing it. You know, finding players like Zadarius Smith, fighting, you know, steals like Jordan Hicks and free agency, um, you know, being Take aggressive. In the draft. Now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's like I, I think that he did it, like getting rid of the Anthony Barr contract as much as I personally love Anthony Barr and like, like having him on the team and, and it, for, it made Eric Hendricks cry, which is always very sad. Um, he's just like a teddy bear. You don't want to make him cry. And he uh, looks like Jason Siegel in my mind. Of course. Same face. <laughs> so, Dynamite dropping. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in, in terms of like the way that they capitalized on those windows and created, um, flexibility to build in the future, a lot of these contracts are functionally two-year contracts, right? Um, inc including the Kirk Cousins extension. Um, so in terms of executing that strategy, I thought he did a really good job. All right. I feel like I, I want I want to keep you here longer, but I want to be respectful of your time, Arif. I also want to know if, like how many people are are coming to go on the art museum steps again to do like a, a 12 person skull before they get blown out like in the NFC championship game. But I'll save that. No, I, I want it to happen again. I, like that sounds like fun. <laughs> it, was, it was very <laughs> funny. Uh, I, got, I have I have this wheel here that I that I can spin and we can we can put it in a, 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 a sounder here. But it's like a, a, a question and a person. So let me just spin it real quickly and see what it that, says. Definitely a real wheel. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Tick, tick, I wouldn't tick, put it past him, though. All right. It says, what's the worst thing you can say about Ben Solak? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the worst thing I could say about him, I'm not going to put on air in a podcast. Um, I've just told him privately. <laughs> uh the second worst thing I can say about him is that I'm glad that he published his house, uh, the picture <laughs> of his house, for the entire internet to see, for them to be able to find his address and tell him personally what they think of his opinions, which are bad. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> yeah.
Solik and I are very good friends, but <laughs> of course, of course, that's why we that's why we ask. <laughs> All right, uh, Arif Hassan. You can follow him on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Thank you so much uh, for for taking some time, Arif. We'll uh, we'll yes, see you on Monday, or you're not? Are uh, you coming? Uh, that is surprisingly still up in the air. So we'll find I've out. Been there. Yeah. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we find out soon. Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking some time. We'll take a little break and back with more to talk about. Uh, some more thoughts on the game against the Lions and uh, some other stuff that we've seen over the past couple of days. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, back on Birds of Friends. Bo, Zach, and Marissa, thanks again to Arif for joining us. Marissa, how are you? I'm great. Uh, loved listening to Arif. I'm really enjoying all these guests we're having on. So thanks to him for joining. I hope so. You have to like book them. It's, yeah, but <laughs> like, I mean, they're they're doing the hard work. He was great. That was awesome. Good insight into the Vikings. So yeah, how are you guys? I'm okay. I'm, well, I'm a little tired today. I hate to admit. Yeah, uh, me too. Was up late transcribing, and transcribing is is a vexing activity, right? It's it's mm, one of those thankless. Yes. Uh, so doing that, but anyone who's who's uh, listening, who's in the area in the Philadelphia area, um, mm. I I will be uh, appearing, not appearing. I, I will be signing books tonight at Puddler's Pub. You'll be appearing. And, yeah, in in Bridgeport. Um, I will be like Fredo. There's an all-star guest <laughs> of people in attendance. Okay. Uh, I mean, you'll have Merrill Reese and you'll have Mike Quick. You'll have Glenn Macnow and you'll have Mike Sealski. Um, I, I think Ross Tucker might be there's a there's a lot of people in attendance. Um, it's wow. for a it's for a good cause. And uh if you're interested in a copy of Underdogs, the Philadelphia Eagles emotional road to Super Bowl victory, which is behind me on both sides, actually. Uh, I will be signing copies tonight. So Feel free to come on by. That's, That's awesome. exciting. Yes, yes, it is. If it's anybody cool. asks uh, you to sign, will you like? Uh, will, you, will you take a shot with them or something? <laughs> I will not take a shot with them. No, um, but I will. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll tell you a story about Bo that we don't talk about on the pod. How about Ooh, that, that is go. really good incentive to yes. go down. Definitely. It'll like probably be a, a, a compliment, but it'll be. There's no, yeah, I mean, there's no secrets here. I don't know. <laughs> True. That's actually, that's what the problem. Right? Yeah, exactly. yes. I wish there were more. <laughs> I played, uh, I signed up for this this uh, tennis league uh, in in Philly. It's, I mean, it's pretty low key, uh, but I played on Saturday and on Sunday. I was so, I mean, I'm, I'm an old man. I was very sore, uh, but then I played again today and it was, it was a little easier. So did you win? I won today. It was actually uh, today was today was not very close. It was it was oh. unfortunate. 
Um, so you dominated is what you're trying to say in a nice yeah, way. But, but not really like by any, any impressive nature of my own. Just, that was just the draw. Um, mm. On Saturday, I blew it. I gacked away a four love lead. So Ooh. one and one. Uh, yeah, I'm tired too, but you know, we, we press on. We're almost at the end of the season. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think the Eagles uh, have a nice path to, to the division title, right? Well, listen, if they win this game, yeah, you're looking at, you're like, it, it could be a, it could be a, uh, a rousing start to start the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's, let's, let's quickly talk about the NFC East sack. Dak Prescott goes down. Now they didn't put him on IR. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, but he's going to be out for some time. Uh, but wins from Washington, and the giants. What do you, what do you make of the NFC East? I think the Eagles are the overwhelming favorites now. And that's not a bold take. You look at Vegas, they're telling you the same thing, right? Uh, so look, if, if, if you thought that the Eagles were a likely division champion before Dak's injury or on par with the Cowboys before Dak's injury, that injury changes the the equation of the of, of the entire division. As far as the Giants win and, and Washington's win, give them credit for for both. I mean, I, I don't want to say the Eagles win was all that impressive either, right? I still think well, that it was offensively. I mean, I think I think I think like like the the nature of at least on the radio when I've been well, yeah, asked about the Eagles win, it's like you know it was like they lost. I think we're underselling it a little bit. Like the offense well, agree. did a very good job. I agree. I actually think that 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 there's been far more like doom and gloom in Philadelphia f after winning a game than there should be. It's it's I I think nine playoff teams from last year lost. I have to look up that number. Uh, but it's it's not look. It's not easy. It's the cliche. It's not easy to win it in the league. But like you've documented well, week one games can be fluky. You're going on on the road. Uh, the offense played well. the The defense had some things. Second to best work offensive there. performance in the league. Yeah. Uh, so, but and I'm, I'm just not drive. sold. Now they gave up the third best to the Lions, but I'm just not sold on the on on the Giants. I don't think they have the talent this year. Um, you you clearly see a coaching difference there, and so that's a that's a credit to them. And yeah, I rewatched that game. Um, mm -hmm. and Flex. like it really was. Yeah, I know. Well, I think that's like about as as. <laughs> Like the worst flex you could possibly ever have is that I watched the Giants Titans game, uh, but that was not it, like they they really had no business winning that game. Uh, they got a couple fluky things. It was not quite to the same degree as the uh, Steelers Bengals game, but they had a few things going their way. And but but also credit to Brian Dable for not yeah. uh, you know turtling like like Arthur Smith and being willing to to go for it. So I want to know what both thought of Brian Dable's dance moves in the locker room after the game. Oh, I didn't see them. Oh, you didn't. Oh, no. I'll have to send you the video. All right, next next pod we'll we'll touch on it. But very like That's the opposite extreme of Joe Judge, like totally totally different from what Joe Judge I think would be doing in the locker room. So that can show up in the in in the uh, power rankings. The the great thing is everything we bring up the bow about the NFL is now potential power rankings material. Yeah. I don't know if that's the great thing. I'm I'm trying to give you an organic tease here, okay? I'm trying to trying to point out the power rankings without saying Bill did a great job in the power rankings, which he did. So that was an organic tease. Uh, as free, as free range, as far as the Commanders, um, yeah. Look, Carson Wentz, he 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 throws four touchdowns. I know Philadelphia likes to likes to rip on Carson, but 
we've seen Carson can get hot, right? I mean, there are tools there. That's true. And and he does have he does have talent to work with, right? I mean, he had that touchdown down the right sideline to Terry McLaurin, as as you heard Jeffrey Lurie say, uh, Terry McLaurin was was really the uh, the receiver mm. that they missed out on in in that twenty uh, twenty in the in the twenty nineteen draft. Then uh, I mean, Jahan Dotson caught two touchdowns. I, I think we all like the Dotson coming out of Penn State. Is that fair to say? A little bit. I think, okay. yeah, she liked it more because okay. he's a homer, State, but, a homer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. And you know, they're, they're going to get chase young back. So the, so they do have talent on that team. Ron Rivera has been a competent coach in this league. Right. Uh, so I think that's I give a description. I give, I give, I give Washington, uh, some credit, but I, I still think from a talent perspective, from a schedule perspective, I have to consider the Eagles, the overwhelming favorites at this point. It's Assuming not even Dak close. Prescott's yeah. out for an extended period. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it's very much there for the taking. I think I think, like, I mean, you really want to get ahead of yourselves. I think if they win on Monday night, like the one seed is right there. Go get it. Like that's that's as as we you know when we talked to Denise, he laid out the schedule. Like it's there for the taking, and that's why I think this, like the the Jalen Hurts conversation, which which we can have, um, like the framing of it, like. Well, you can't, you know, he he can't win that way in the playoffs is like, well, what if they win that way in the regular season and they get the one seed and then you get two home games to get to the Super Bowl? Like, yeah, I, I think that's possible. It's not like the question is not like, uh, is Jalen Hurts a Super Bowl winning quarterback if uh, every game is on a neutral field and every team has equal talent? I mean, if that's the question, the answer is no, but that's not the situation. Like if the defense improves enough, if the offense the rest of the offense stays as good as it looks and he's playing at that level. Yeah. They could win the super bowl. That's not crazy. Yeah. So, so these are our two separate conversations, right? As there's the Jalen hurts conversation, which is a great one to have. And there's also the potential one seed conversation. Uh, and you look at the schedule, especially with, with Dak's injury, if, if he's not back in that game and I, I've read the reports out of Dallas that Jerry Jones think he uh, thinks he can be back in four weeks. They're not putting him on IR, uh, but overall, it's it's conceivable that the if the Eagles win on Monday and they are favored to win, that they're favorites for like a long stretch here, going maybe past the bye week in, into November. That said, the uh, uh, on the any given Sunday cliche that is applicable, right? In in that there's there's no Samford on your schedule when you, when you're in the NFL. Oh. Um, Samford taking shots. <laughs> oh, poor James Bradbury, a guy has his first touchdown since <laughs> high school. He tunes into Bridge with Friends to see if we're going to talk about it, and you just throw his school under the bus. Well, that was just, that was a, a Georgia reference, right? Georgia being the number one team in the country right now. They played Samford, but in 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 you know in Samford's defense, Georgia played Oregon week one and beat them what forty nine to three. So it's it's not just Samford. Um, but uh, but my my point being, we saw on Monday night. If if you looked at Seattle's roster and you looked at Denver's roster, um, you would probably say Denver has the superior roster, certainly the superior quarterback. But home field things can happen on the you know there there's situational football. There's there's so much that can occur. It's you know it's it's hard to say we're gonna look up and and, and they're gonna be eight and zero. Oh, but sure. it is it is conceivable. You know, and, and this is what happened by the way. In 2017, they lose week two to Kansas City, and then they just go on this roll, and everyone kind of picked their head up 
in and when I say everyone, everyone outside of you know in Philadelphia, we're every week's a season, right? We are analyzing, overanalyzing every single week. But there was that period in October, early November, when the Eagles started to get this buzz, and you know you see the storylines on ESPN. Could this be the sleeper team, right? So, so, so that very well could be the case for the Eagles. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, Zach, uh, well, there is some news to get to, so why don't we send it over to the Stone Cold Newsman who has been working on a story, but he's still keeping his ear to the grindstone at the Novacare Complex. Derek Barnett tore his ACL, an unfortunate injury for a player who's been a staple in Philadelphia in his sixth season with the Eagles. The, he signed back, as we all remember, to rebuild his his value, has respect from the locker room, and likes playing with these players. But his season ends after one game, and, and the Eagles have to uh, look at that depth chart and how to figure out their edge-rushing depth, pay attention to Teron Jackson in that spot. The Eagles, as we mentioned at the top of the show, probably the biggest news of the week, right? They signed Janorius Robinson off of the Vikings practice squad. He's a fourth-round pick from Florida State last season. And the Eagles in the past week have now added three players from the third and fourth round of the 2021 draft, um, that being Ian Book, Trey Sermon, and now Robinson. And internally, the Eagles view this almost like extra draft picks. Now, the qualifier there is both is all three of these players were waived by their teams uh, after one year, right? So the teams that drafted him decided they don't, you know, they don't want them on their on their fifty three man roster anymore. So the, you have to have that qualifier, but it's 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 not as if these are players who were have draft pedigree from five years ago. Something to keep in mind there. Elsewhere, Zach McPherson named the special teams player of the week. Um, Surprising. Yeah, I, I got to think there were better special teams performers in the NFC than catching that onside kick. But uh, hey, kick coverage people are play are people too, and McPherson gets the player of the week. Other than that, that that's really the. Did you mention Coyotes. Oh well, we mentioned at the top of the show, right? I mean, you know, we we started with that. Uh, according to Mike Garofolo, the outstanding reporter from the NFL Network, Coyote Awashika signed off the Eagles practice squad by the Detroit Lions. As Mike said, he learned under Halapulavati Vitae in Philadelphia. Um, but no, that didn't. was not actually the case. Yeah, that was not the case. No, okay, um, hold on. You're conflating two things. Garofalo did I'm not say that. Garofalo did not say that. What was the thing with Vitae? No. He's, Mike he's K going... said something about that, and I don't oh, know okay. what he's talking about. Unless, like, maybe his point okay. is that, like, there's overlap in the language that Vitae can help with, but those <laughs> okay. guys did not play together. They did not. Like, yeah. Oh, they did. As I was saying that. the Lions. And yeah, also, as like, I was yeah. saying that. As yeah. I was saying that, That's I realized that. That is correct. Yeah. And I'm sorry. They I'm have sorry. never met before, most likely. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike G. Mike G. Mike G is aces, right? He he, he, he does not get something wrong. Poor Mike, so, uh, poor Mike Garofalo has, like, he has like <laughs> 20 people in his mentions just tagging me about Coyote Awashika. Well, yeah, so that was the second part there is that Coyote is thrilled to get a chance to be on an active roster, I imagine, but also probably a bit relieved to get this guy out of you know, to, to get away from Bo. I, I saw Bo and Coyote chatting in the locker room last week, and uh, I'm sure Coyote sent a text to Elijah Riley, who he did play with last year, mm. being like, that guy's back. 
right? So, uh, so in any event, well, I think Brad Holmes was walking through the press box and he saw my Coyote Awashika screensaver going on and my background. And he was like, who is that? Oh, that guy looks good. And so he did a little, did a little tape dogging and he realized, oh yeah, this guy's worth a spot. Yeah. Respect for Brad Holmes, by the way, the, we didn't mention this on the post game pod halftime show at, uh, the Lions get at the Eagles Lions game was the marching band. But I, I think I can call them the marching band. I, I don't know if there's a different name for it from North Carolina A and T, which yeah, is his alma mater. which is his alma mater. So uh, I always like when the halftime show is is something you know uh, organic or or rewards like you know like uh, high school or college students and and not some some contrived thing. So not dogs res- chasing frisbees. Yeah, yeah. So so respect and to Brad Holmes dropping there. their poop bags in my garbage. Monster. Passive aggressive there. Yes. Well, they've already it's not really passive. They've yeah, already been true. groused. That's a pretty that's aggressive true. aggressive. That's true. Nothing worse than the grouse. Do you want to wrap it wrap up the uh the toss? Yeah. Back to you but in the, the studio, egg, Bo. We gotta we gotta finish the parentheses on the back to you on, in the, the studio. segment. Yeah. Uh one thing that I I was in the mode of not wanting to cut you off before I cut you off. The this idea that they think they have like extra fourth round picks is dumb not not you saying it's okay. dumb if they believe that and it's not just a talking point that they're saying it's dumb like these guys got cut there you can't yeah, just I, you can't just anchor okay. that value uh to, to these guys they're they got cut you got you got guys who are on the street like they're fine it's it's fine to have them on the roster but don't don't like tell me you've all of a sudden now got like four 2021 fourth round picks give me a break I agree with with what you're saying, but I am conveying a, a a concept that you know we've we've heard around the Novacare complex, right? That that this is right. Yeah, uh, this is no beef with you. Yeah, it's and I don't even think it's like a public spin. It's it's like a rationalization almost, right? For adding adding these players, but you know what? I I tend to like now. I don't think third and fourth round pedigree is like is big draft pedigree, but I I always like in in. Uh, free agency or in, in trades when you bring in a former first rounder, you know, if, if I was covering the Vikings right now, for instance, I would be like, man, this is a, a good trade. Get Jalen Rager here, change of scenery. I, I tend to think that uh, if in a first round with a first round pick, perhaps they weren't used correctly. Perhaps they were just in a bad situation, but there's a reason why they were drafted as high as they were and to try to squeeze any talent that's there. And we have seen players who it took them a second place to, to really start, you know, you know, for it to really start to click. I think I view it the other way. Now, okay. I mean, there are examples of, of first round picks who have gone elsewhere and, and done fine. Uh, you know, Charles Harris has turned into an okay player for the lions after he was a, a bust in Miami. But I like, I would be much more willing to, to sell myself on, this seventh or sixth round pick didn't get a fair shake and we can give him a better shot than like a first round pick who gets cut by his team. They gave him every opportunity. They wanted that guy to succeed. They tried to figure out a way for that guy to succeed and he wasn't able to like, he's already proven that he's not good enough. Whereas a back end roster player, like might have just got caught in a numbers game and, and could actually have a chance to show something else somewhere else. That's fair. I just think a a back end roster guy, for the most part is oh, not that about, much yeah, different. Like upsides, but yeah. It, yeah. The upsides either limited or he's not that much different than, 
you know, a player you're you're signing as as an as as, as an undrafted guy. Uh, a first round pick, a second round pick, that's someone who is a top 50 player in your Yeah, but a player who doesn't make it through his rookie contract, who is drafted that high, I don't think that there's much precedent for for those players turning into something. Like JJ, I think a Whiteside's a second round pick right now, who's still on his rookie contract and and was was well, he was traded but then cut. Like are you excited about that cuz he has the second round pedigree? No, I I hear he's what you're saying. For 3 years that he's not good enough. I, I I I hear what you're saying. I'm I'm not disputing it. I'm I'm just saying that I tend to think those players have more talent to develop than the. But it it, it often it's often the case that 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 doesn't happen. You know, you, you see it in in the NBA. I think of recent examples. You know, you know, got uh, Jared Culver, for instance. I saw in the transaction column, he was signed by the uh, by the Hawks. I, I mean, he's someone who was high draft pick by you know, I think the fifth pick by the T Wolves. Get, get, I don't know why I'm going down this this rabbit hole. We're yeah, the only get Jared going <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're the only podcast talking to Jared Colbert. Anyways, uh, back, back. I also to like that you didn't like. I thought you were going to give me a, a basketball <laughs> example of a player who turned out to be good. You're just like, oh, this guy got cut and he was signed. Oh, I I can do okay. that. Like like Antonio Daniels was was someone who was a top five pick and you know changed scenery and turned out to be a better player. Antonio McDice changed scenery was mm. a better player somewhere else. So I I can give you a lot of examples about that, but. We can save my NBA takes for October, November, December. The middle of football season. <laughs> sure. Why don't we save it for March? Well said. All right. Um, well, Zach, we've uh, we've had a chance to to zoom out from the emotion of the mm-hmm. post game pod. Uh, look at some numbers. Look at some film. Listen to the coordinators talk. What what has changed? in your opinion, or, or has there been anything that, that has changed in your mind from what we thought Sunday night to, to what you think now here on Wednesday? About well, so, that game. Uh, so I, I don't want to fight straw man, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to knock down straw man arguments, but I don't think this is straw man arguments. And I, I, I'm, I also don't believe that uh, what's said on radio might be reflective of the fan base. But what I can say is that when we do the post game pod, we are completely removed from like what the conversation of Eagles fans are is rather. Right. And then when we get here and uh, you know, we do interviews ourselves, we hear questions, we, we listen to the radio. I, you know, you, you see people at Wawa or the pickup line and, and, and you hear questions and you hear certain narratives about the team. And so there are things that, that I, I disagree with in terms of the conversation. First being this topic of conditioning has come up. I don't think the lack of condition. I don't think the Eagles were. Yeah, when you I, told I, me that 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 was a yeah. story yesterday, I was like, "What?" Yeah, and I don't think conditioning was a problem for the Eagles. Uh, if they were gassed in the second half, it's your typical like you're playing seventy plays in a game. They have long drives. You know, you know, sometimes you're feeling it. It it has nothing to do with with training camp, right? Or it has no. You know, I I think the Eagles were conditioned fine. I don't think that was an issue. I think there were football problems, not fatigue problems. So I will say that. Uh, Jalen Hurts, not getting into a – we're not having like the big picture Jalen Hurts discussion, but the idea that Jalen Hurts is running too much, um, and this is a matter of opinion. Reasonable minds can differ. I've said this, and I will continue saying it. Jalen Hurts is, to use the cliche, superpower, is his running ability to curtail – the running ability, in my opinion, would be to lessen the quarterback that you have. Obviously, you want him to stay healthy, 
But what makes Jalen Hurts potentially special is his ability to run. He is one of the best running quarterbacks in the league. You can, it's not hyperbole to say he could be one of the best running quarterbacks ever when you just look at like the precedent that there's been. Uh, and he completely changes the game. You know, I, I heard, uh, I, I was listening to radio this morning and I heard Ross Tucker say uh, that he was texting, I, I, I think it was Alex Anzalone, who they're from the same hometown, the linebacker from the Lions. And he said that like Hertz's his running ability really hurt the Lions, right? That now we can see that in the game, but that that's was like of, that's only the kind of insight you could get from a player <laughs> who's on the field. No, but 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 like that's what stood out to them is 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 like man that that changed the game. So well, you know, what? It, it it did surprise them because they played like right into his hands with that. Like they blitzed at the second highest rate in the league, and they played like overwhelmingly man defense, and so. They 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 gave him they presented a defense that would allow him to scramble really well and he and he did yeah um so we can have that hurts discussion a few and I don't want to monopolize this so I, I I will turn it over to you but two more things I want to make a correction from the post game pod I I think I harped on Josh Sweat dropping in the coverage probably a little too much because it only turned out to be two snaps according to True Media when I watched the game back it really wasn't yeah. that 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 big a deal. And I, I pointed it out. So I shouldn't have made much of a deal about it. And, and even I Reddick thought, didn't do well. Yeah. Sorry, you go ahead. No. And, and I thought, look, I, I know you, I know both of you are going to laugh when I say this. I thought sweat was pretty effective. Relatively <laughs> speaking, <laughs> as a pass rusher. Like I thought oh, oh, as the, a pass rusher, not as a, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I thought you were, I thought you were going to gas up his coverage on those two snaps. No, 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 definitely not. No, I thought like, I, I didn't think Reddick rushed particularly well. Um, I mean, there, there weren't many times when I watched the game back when I was like, Ooh, Reddick was close there, but it seemed like sweat was, was, was getting some pressure. And I, I don't have the number in front of me, but I, I did see this floating around Twitter that sweats pressure rate, um, was, 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 was one of the highest now sacks. I will always pound the table on this sacks is what matters more than pressure rate, more than well, hits or and, hits. Like give me hits because yeah. uh, uh, it's at least quantifiable pressure rate is so subjective. Even, yeah. you know, it's, it's a stat, but it's still subjective. Like, yeah. Um, and then the defense got no defense for it. I thought what we were saying on the pod is fairly accurate that, uh, it was a lot, it, it was like a lot of creative concepts with very little return on investment. Right. So well, I don't even know how creative those concepts were. It was like, it was creative. At least it was, it was shuffling personnel that's, usage. Uh, yeah. Th yeah. Um, there were a lot of moving parts, sure. but yeah. I don't know how creative it was in terms of like what it was showing to Jared Goff. Fair. Um, yeah. I think, um, I think on offense, um, Ryan Sasaki at Chip Wagoneer on Twitter had a good, had a good little thread of, of some of the things that Jalen Hurts did that were, that seemed like tangible improvements from last year, getting to his, uh, second, third read and uh, navigating the pocket. I think I think you should check that out. I, I had retweeted one of them. So if you want to look at my timeline, that's that's on there. Um, like the Devontae Smith thing uh, we can get to in the next segment because I have a little little proposition for you. But I think it's something that's on their radar. But we'll see. Absolutely. We'll see how much it, uh, it it changes moving forward. I thought the offensive line was better in rewatching than I did live. Um, and Jason Kelsey had talked about how like some of the blitzes, like they knew they were going to see unscouted looks. It was week one. They were, they were prepared that they were going to do that, but they were still unscouted looks that they hadn't seen. And so there were times when they just sent more than they could block. And so like, I know that there's harping on 
the way that they picked up those blitzes, but I, I think the way that the protections were set, like it was just Jalen Hurts has to either get the ball out or avoid the sack. Like they, they didn't have enough people into block. Um, so it wasn't quite as bad as, as I would have thought live. I thought Landon Dickerson had a, had a better game than I noticed um, live. So uh, kudos to him. Um, and then on defense, we can get to the Jordan Davis conversation in the next segment yeah. too. I have a, a question about that also, but I just um, like, I, I'm at the point now where I need to, I need to see it before I believe that it's coming in terms okay. of the, uh, the defense getting better, like go out and, and prove to me that you can do something different. Now I know that uh, Jared Goff got rid of the ball quickly. I think he was in the top five in the league in, uh, in time to throw in this game. Uh, there were some, evident there was some evidence and there were some plays when when there seemed to be good pressure like from josh sweat but uh that isn't good enough like i mean they, the only fluke they had the only sack they had was a fluky sack yes um with with brandon graham and fletcher cox on a drop snap uh i i thought that the secondary was actually okay like even even the darius slay the touchdown he gave up to dj shark like he was right there that's a yeah, tough I've... draw uh bradbury had a good game i thought marcus epps was really good i, I was um, about to say this okay so um and not to ch- I'll, I will let you finish. I just want to make this this one point. I'm not saying it because I have a story coming out. But Marcus Epps is the best example to me of why I need to be more context independent when looking at players. Because I think so much of the way I tend to look at players is based on the history and perhaps you know me putting them in a box in my own head. And Marcus Epps has been here since 2019, and I kind of view him a certain way. And if I had just came on to the beat, if like that was my first game covering the Eagles and I watched him, I would say this guy's one of their best players on, on, on defense. He was, he was really good. And I, it's, it's a good example for me. Um, and probably to, I mean, not to associate Marissa with Michael, but, but, but this is probably something that like Michael had to combat in his career that, uh, that I think there's, there's often, too much context associated with evaluating a player. And if you simply take those blinders off and you just watch the player, um, Marcus Epps really jumped out to me. So sorry to interrupt. That's exactly, that's exactly what we were talking about before. He's a perfect example. He was a sixth round pick who was waived and claimed Mm -hmm. as if he was a first round pick, like they probably wouldn't have waived him. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I thought he was uh, that, that one play he made on that, uh, that second wide receiver pass. Yeah. Where he, where he came flying down and made the tackle. Really nice. Um, yeah, he seems this is it's such a like a sports cliche, but you can you can see a guy who was playing and not thinking right like mm-hmm. in his second year in a defense. I, I think you see that with him. What do you think of Chauncey Gardner Johnson? Uh, I think I agree with what he said after the game, like he needs to work on his tackling. Um, and there were there were a couple moments of indecision. I know that the, the, the that really long run, the Dalvin Cook long run, the first run of the game, Bradbury misses a tackle at his ankles, but Garner Johnson has a chance to sort of come in if he's flying downhill and he was a little bit more tepid and he was able to get blocked. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, like I'm not big picture worried about Chauncey Garner Johnson, but he did not play a great game in, in week one, I thought. How about the linebackers? What was your read on them? Um. I thought TJ Edwards was better than I thought live. Like I saw him okay. missing a lot of tackles live. I don't know if that was like he was put in bad position. I thought Kaiser White was pretty good. Okay. Um, I don't know. I'm cur- I'm just curious to see like how itchy the trigger finger they're going to have on on getting Nicobe Dean on the field more. 
Now, what did you make of, speaking of like getting guys on the field more, what did you make of Jonathan Gannon dropping the like sly reference to going over the game plan with Howie Roseman in his press conference? Yeah, so I, I know this has, has gotten a, a lot of buzz today in Philly, and uh, I I didn't think much of it at the time, and I don't think much of it now. The way I interpreted it, and again, maybe I'm, I'm too close to the sun here covering the team, right? Um, but Howie is involved in like determining who's inactive, and and when you determine who's inactive, you're figuring out the game. You know, so what you're doing is you're going through the game day rotations, and you're going through the game day roles of each player. I don't think Howie's in there saying, you know, we need to play cover six X percent of times, and you know, um, uh, but. I, I do think that they're they're going through every player on the 46-man roster uh, and how he's involved in those conversations and figuring out who's going to be up and who's going to be down. And by the way, that also it, that involves, too, your practice squad promotions. Your practice squad promotions involves a, a lot of you know roster maneuvering sometimes because you have X amount of times that you can promote that you can promote someone when they're not subject to waivers. So 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 my my point being that the way I interpreted that because the question was specifically about rotations. It wasn't about scheme. It was about rotations, right? And the way I interpreted the answer was about him being involved in the personnel rotations. Yeah, I like I understand that it sounded a little bit um dramatic. But my uh, my take was also that this was in terms of like how he sits in on the meetings, a to to understand like how the players are being used, and also to better inform like his the, the draft decisions, right? Like these are the players that you that you want, and also b because he's literally in charge of the game day roster, and so he needs to yes. know who should be up or down. So yes. All right, let's take uh, our second break here, and then come back. I have a little uh, little exercise for you, and then we can close this bad boy up. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, back on Birds with Friends, Bo, Zach, and Marissa. All right, Zach, I have I have four storylines here 
that okay. have been uh, in the Eagles zeitgeist this week. I want you to stork rank them in order of how much staying power they have. Which, which, tell me how how much we're going to be talking about these throughout the season, and which ones are more fleeting. Okay, Jordan Davis's playing time. We're going to be talking about that often. Oh, I sh- should I wait till the end? Well, I'll give them to you, and then you can you can give okay. your big picture thoughts. Jordan Davis's playing time. Devontae Smith's lack of targets. Mm-hmm. Hassan Reddick's usage. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Hurts taking too many hits. Do you want me to rank them, or do you just want me to, to evaluate all of them? Why don't you start with the one that's the most fleeting? Fleeting. We'll talk about it. Let's. We'll work our way up one topic by another, but in the order that you think has the least staying power. The least staying power. I think the least staying power is going to be Hassan Reddick's usage because uh, I think that we're going to tell pretty early on what he – I don't think week 16, week 17, week 18 is going to be that much different than week three, week – there's going to be variance based on matchup and, you know, the um, maybe who's up and who's – you know, who's hurt and if, if they need you. But I think – what we see from Reddick in the first month of the season is going to be comparable to what we see in the last month of the season. I don't remember if I said this on the postgame pod. Um, I think I did, but big picture defense, like my, my thoughts on that week one, uh, what I should have said last segment. I think what I was maybe most disappointed in was the lack of creativity in, in trying to free Hassan Reddick as a rusher. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about it all summer. He is like, he is not just a lineup as a four three outside or four three defensive end or, or three four outside linebacker, let him just go. Um, you know, he, he he'll get some sacks that way, but that's yeah. not the way that he accumulated uh numbers over the past two years. He needs to be freed up in in some like degree. And there was not a lot of um hiding or subterfuge in the way that, that they they presented him and the way that he came forward. And and to your point there when you know I, I did some work on him when the Eagles uh, signed him. That's 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 one thing I heard that you know, really talented player like has elite pass rushing ability, but it requires you to use him a certain way and scheme him a certain way. And if you scheme him a certain way, what does that do for you know Brian Burns on the other side mm. or you know who? So so point being that you you need to say okay, this is our player, and it's it's almost like not to use the NBA comparison here but like if, if james harden's on your team you have to play a certain way when james harden's on your team right when hassan reddick's on your defense you can't just say hassan reddick here's what janard avery did last year do what janard avery did last year because then you're not maximizing the player so so you need to start with the player and then build it from there and they had those they had those couple snaps where he was a, an inside linebacker on third down and rushed which is like in theory you're like okay this this is interesting this is an interesting place for him to come from but like if Hassan Reddick is lined up as an inside linebacker, nobody is surprised that he's coming from there. Like if otherwise you're just going to throw it at him. So I don't know. It's, it's something that's on my radar and just like the big picture moving parts of the defense. Like there's just not enough hours in the day, enough hours in the week to get all of those personnel packages, right. Get them on the field at the right time against the right matchups. Also scheme up something for Hassan Reddick. Like at some point, you gotta you gotta have your guys and trust your guys to win. Um, yes, so, I don't know. I like that. That's a good way of putting it. All right, what's your what's your what's next on your list of these three? Jordan Davis, Devonte Smith, Jalen Hurts. That has staying power. The least staying power. The yeah, the least staying power. I'll go Jordan Davis. 
Um, because I, I think that's going to be a steady progression, right? I, I think that. that, that he'll continue to have a little more on his plate. Um, you know, there hopefully cannolis. <laughs> I am curious to see. So I, uh, and shout out the true media. That's, that's, that's what we have for our, our stats to kind of break it down. And I was, I was looking at his, his splits by down and he did not play on a third down. He was, he played. You know, I, I think two thirds of his snaps were on first down, right? So the Eagles have are very much using him the way he was used at Georgia, and yeah. when they drafted him, I, I, it's one game, right? I get it, it's one game, but when they drafted him, a big talking point was that we think there's more to scratch here, right? We think that that he has, he can affect the he can affect the quarterback, that he can play on passing downs, but the Eagles were very much using him the way he was used at Georgia. Yeah, I think I think this is not a surprise, really. Like, you would expect that his playing time is going to progress as the season goes on. I, I think, like, that that he played two or three snaps fewer than Tui was a, was a minor upset. But if you had said on draft night, Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, and Milton Williams are all going to play more snaps than Jordan Davis week one, I think you would have said, duh. Like, yeah. that's of course, that's going to be the deal. And their, their belief in him to eventually turn into a pass rushing force is a long-term belief, not uh, like let's yeah. see it week one. So I agree. I think, I think that he's going to play more as the season goes on. I think, I think this topic will probably be short lived, but I thought the numbers in your day after or were, uh, were really strong. And, and again, there's, there's well, I, I actually, well, sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, Cause I, I was going to say there's a lot that goes into success other than one player, but I, it, it was pretty glaring. The, the uh, run effectiveness. Yeah, I, I actually back. regret putting those in. Um, Interesting. Why is that? Because there's one 50-yard run that skews the whole thing. Okay, valid point. Like, just, be, like, just because but, Fletcher well, Cox and Javon Hargrave were on the field for that play, it makes the, it completely skews the numbers. So I actually looked at it relative to Tui. I didn't okay. look at it as much. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I viewed it more, too, also comparing your even man fronts to your odd man fronts. Yeah. I think it was right. interesting from a usage standpoint, yeah. but I did like the yeah. actual yards allowed was kind of silly. Okay. All right. Devonte Smith and Jalen hurts. Um, this is a hard one. I, I'll, I'll go Devonte third, but this is one we're going to be talking about all year. Um, because I think this one is the one that has the most staying power, but the, I guess Eagles, you could argue both ways. the Eagles are hypersensitive to this. Right. And I understand it. It's you're you're managing your I think Devontae's a like a really good player. And this is a real people skills issue. Exactly. This is not like a media manufactured storyline. This is actually something that I think the the team is manufacturing more than the media because like every question you bring up to you know about AJ Brown's day has to come with the qualifier. You're right. Well, Devontae's gonna have his day too, right? Like it's right. He, you you can't compliment AJ Brown independent uh, you know like you, you have to acknowledge there's going to be some weeks when it's Devontae's week and some weeks when it's Dallas's week which shows Well you remember you when when Robert Mays came through and and he said on uh the Athletic Football show that he talked to somebody on the offensive staff and asked what your biggest concern was your biggest concern and he said keeping everybody happy like there's a lot of malice to feed yeah that was their biggest concern or yeah, this person at least and you know, and uh, there was this uh, this narrative internally during the off season 
before they acquired A.J. Brown? Well, Devontae's targets are going up and Dallas's targets are going up, and that's how the passing game's going to improve. And Quez, and, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I don't think that's something that they were just selling the public or trying to sell the public with. I think that's something they were trying to sell the players with too, right? Like, I think they were trying hmm. to tell Devontae so? and Dallas. It's like they were free oh, agents. Yeah. They didn't. No, but I think in those exit meetings last year, they probably said, you know, like, uh, Devontae, we know we need to target you more, right? But you that's so short-sighted because they knew they were going for wide receivers. They didn't know they were getting A.J. Brown, right? Well, they tried to <laughs> get mean, Allen Robinson. Like, they, you know. I think anyone they Calvin got. Calvin Ridley. Those guys were going to cut into Devontae Smith's targets, yeah. too. Uh, so, okay. That's that's fair. And look, I, I do think there are there are going to be weeks. There were a lot of factors here. First off, I mean, Detroit was a, was a man-heavy team, right? Um, and A.J. Brown, I said it on the postgame pod, and that's not one I, I, I need to watch the tape to confirm, right? Uh, it doesn't need to be this even distribution of targets. When a guy catches 10 passes on 13 targets, you should throw to him more, right? He's, he's right, really exactly. good. Right. You, um, shouldn't, you shouldn't, like, the idea here is not that you should throw to A.J. Brown less. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so... Uh, no, I, I do think the, the passing volume can go up and there were plays that were called passes that Jalen hurts ran it with. Right. So I, I, I get that, but I'm, I'm very mindful of this. And I said that, uh, during the preseason, the players who I, I thought were going to take the biggest hit in terms of targets were your secondary players. And that, that proved to be accurate with Quez Watkins and Zach Pascal. But then you had like Kenny Gainwell was targeted four times, mm -hmm. right? Um, there are, are, you know, the Noah Tonki, I won that, that, that one, I, I, I wouldn't put much stock into, but overall a good play. It was a perfect, yeah, throw. but you got, I, I think that, uh, there's going to be, and the, a, there's going to be a deliberate effort to get Devonte the ball. And you heard Shane Steichen. I will be, I will yesterday. be shocked if, if he is not targeted on, on one of the first two passes. Of the yes, game. I agree. Shane Steichen sounds like, like yes. a swooper. Yeah. That's. Good, you're right. Uh, Shane was saying, like, you know, this is on me. We have to do it, right? Uh, Nick was saying the same thing. Nick was saying, you know, he comes out of the game feeling so good about the offense. They did this well and they did that well. And then he's like, but we didn't get the ball to Devontae enough, and we got to do a better job of that. So yeah, it is. I think it's, it's really on their radar. And the easy answer, like, there's the answer they could give is we won the game, we scored. You know, 30 it's a long season offense. yeah exactly you know the, the targets are gonna are gonna even out like yeah won the game exactly and that's, everybody on the and everybody in the locker room is happy you know everybody's happy when you win yes, the game. yes. that's not right. the answers they, they've been right. giving. the answers they've been given is we need to get Devontae the yeah, ball i'm sorry you're right we need we do need to give him the ball there's no <laughs> yes. there, there's no excuse for it we gotta give Devontae <laughs> yes. the ball there's yes. we have to do it that's on me like yeah so you you're absolutely game. right. You're you're absolutely right. So that that one's not going away. That's not going away. But the reason why I say Jalen Hurts running and Jalen Hurts hitting is he's the quarterback. And this is, I, I, I mean, there's there's a lot of dynamics at 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 play here. But I think there's this antiquated concept that your quarterback has to play a certain way. I get it. You need to make for a, a quarterback to kind of reach his potential, you need to be able to make high leverage throws in high leverage situations. I, I am on board with that. But your quarterback doesn't need to play the way Aaron Rodgers plays or the way Patrick Mahomes plays. You know, right. like you can, 
lean into what a quarterback does well. And this idea of Jalen, there you go. The idea of Jalen Hurts running the ball and the idea of Jalen Hurts getting hit is that that is not going to go away because I think it's for that to go away, it's going to take a faction of fans and even a faction of media members to reprogram the way or change or evolve the way they think a, a, a quarterback should play. Well, I, I, I don't think that that's going away. I think you're right. I, I just think the the focus on, like, is he taking too many hits might dissipate over the course of the season. The thing that's on my radar is, and what I asked Sirianni about, is, like, you don't want Jalen Hurts to stop, to stop scrambling, um, especially yeah. when it's, like, it's the right play, which it was very often against the Lions. But, you know, 17 runs <clears throat> is a lot of runs, and only half of them were scrambles. Uh, I think it was 8-8 eight and eight and then the one kneel down. And so, like, the designed runs – you want it to be a part of the offense because it's an important part of what made them such a good running team last year. And also like the threat of that opens things up for Miles Sanders. But I don't think that you, you need him running the ball on design runs eight times when you know that he's also going to be scrambling. Um, he is really good at avoiding hits. And I also think that there's this, um, this false uh, dichotomy of like if he scrambles he's going to get hit and if he yes. doesn't he's not like well what if he's scrambling to avoid getting sacked like that's how guys get hit just as often you know Dak Prescott is out for a couple weeks because he hurt his hand throwing the ball um, so it's not it's not like uh, A to B like get injured or don't get injured um, and I do think he's good at protecting himself but I, I, I do think that to some degree it's week one it's a long season we don't need him to be uh, we don't need to be calling runs for him that quite that often. Yeah. Now, now, look, I I know it's not an apples for apples comparison, but I always kind of laugh at this idea that you know Philadelphia is like you need to run the ball more, but then when the quarterback runs the ball, it's like no, don't he could get hurt. Well, well, the, you know it's it's not like you're gonna get hurt just because you you uh, run mm-hmm. the ball. So, and by the way, the you know you know Sam Bradford, who was an injury prone quarterback here, right? Or he who? he was yeah. <laughs> Yeah, shout out to Bo's piece today. Great to have Bo in the locker room for the, for those pieces. Make sure you check that out. Brand, there's a, uh, I think there's a little Easter egg in there for birds with friends listeners there is, at, yes. at, at the end. Oh, um, and in the middle. And in the middle, yes. Oh, five, yes, yes, yes. okay. Um, I'm trying to live down that moment. Okay, I I can laugh I can laugh at myself, but I'm not proud. Why? That, that was not that bad. It was awesome. It was, <laughs> I I am not proud of that. Um, Did Emily listen to it? I explained to her what happened, and she just like, <laughs> she, and just, she was like, just, "Why do you care?" She just rolled her eyes, and then I was Calm like, down. "You know, yeah." And then and then you know, can you can you do the dishes or something like that? So, <laughs> right, we have we have more pressing things to worry about. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, point being with Hertz that I I don't think this story. There you go. I agree, Claire. I loved it too. Um, I don't think the storyline is going away because I, I think that it is it's it's kind of ingrained in the in in the way a lot of people think about football. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, Zach. Anything else to get off your chest? Your um, so, chest? so the <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, the uh, the reason why the Eagle why the, the reason why we were doing this at this hour or why we did it at two o'clock is the Eagles are not practicing today. Um, they have a Monday night game, so things are pushed back one day. They're, they practice week for them starts uh, tomorrow on Thursday. 
um, selfishly. One thing I just want to kind of throw out there, uh, because the next time we talk is, is going to be Friday is, uh, they're having me do these, these weekly picks each week. And I, I'm very, uh, nervous about it for, because I, I shouldn't say nervous about it. Um, I care a lot about credibility, right? And so I, I want to make sure that I'm and I understand that when you're making picks against the spread, you're, you're, you're not going to be aces every week, right? Started off four and two last week. We'll see how I do, but make sure you Flex. check that out on Friday. Cause I am, I probably put a, I, I put putting a lot of thought into which side to go. It's five games and it is a, uh, uh, a prop bet. And those, those among those five games has to include the primetime games and the Eagles, of course, have a primetime game this week. So I will have an Eagles pick in there as well this week. Marissa, any final words from you? No. Um, excited that this is Monday night football. Um, I think that will bring I'm a little not. extra juice and, you know, like the post game pod will be very late, but that's for um, sure. Yeah. So looking forward to our first late night pod, but yeah, no, uh, I'm things have been good. So good right. pod as always. <laughs> well, that's a good way to end it. So, uh, thank you to Arif for joining us to talk about the Vikings. And thank you to Marissa and Zach. Thanks to everybody for listening and everybody for watching live. For all of us and for Coyote. Pour one out. As always, we love you.